0: I grew up with the humor of George Burns and Gracie Allen. Gracie Allen, she's the epitome of the butt of jokes against women. I remember one in particular where George asked, Gracie, what time is it? And she said, just a minute. And she reached up and opened the cabinet, pulled down an electric clock, and plugged it in the wall. <laughs> He said, Gracie, what are you doing? And she said, I'm saving electricity. <laughs> well, Betty was that kind of a person, and Bob and Betty lived in the south. and They moved to New England. The winters there were severe, and they'd never been in severe weather before. They were having breakfast, and the weather forecaster said, two to four inches are predicted today. And the highway department asked that everyone park their cars on the right numbered side of the street so that the snow plows can get through. So Betty jumped up and went out and parked the car on the other side of the street. A few days later, the weather forecaster said, four to six inches of snow today. And the highway department has asked everyone to park on the left the uneven numbered side of the street so that the snow plows can get through. So Betty jumped out and parked the car on the even-numbered side. (laughs) A few days passed, and the weather forecaster said, eight to 10 inches today, and the highway department has asked that everyone park their cars, and then the radio died. (laughs) And Betty was devastated. I don't know what to do. Bob reached over and patted her hand and said, honey, They won't mind if you just leave the car in the garage this day. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a graduating senior in high school, I received a notice from my draft board that I was to report at Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia for an Army physical prior to my being inducted into the Army. So on the day appointed, all of the young men of Mountain City joined me. We got a bus and drove over to Bristol. They put us on a train and we were taken to Chattanooga and Fort Oglethorpe. And there we were getting, all given our Army physicals prior to induction into the Army. When I got home, instead of receiving an induction notice, I got a notice that I had been qualified as 4F. In the course of the examination, a spot was discovered on my right lung. Well, this distressed my father greatly, as any father is, over the welfare of his son. He wanted me to have the best attention that anyone could have. I don't want to project too far back in time because it implies that I've covered more years in my lifetime than you might expect. (laughs) But the only treatment then for tuberculosis was high altitudes and bed rest. The miracle drugs had not yet surfaced. So through our family doctor, my father inquired to see who the best respiratory specialist in Asheville, North Carolina, would be. He was identified, and my father arranged for him to take my case. It concerned my father that though I would be confined to the bed for many, many months, he didn't want me to have to live in an institutional-type place, as most hospitals are. So he searched and discovered what was more a resort than a hospital. It was for the wealthy who could afford I don't know yet how my father paid the bill. I was there for six months. Everyone around me were millionaires or persons of high stature. The vice president of the Prudential Life Insurance Company in New York was one of those present. All of the rooms were suites. They weren't individual rooms, but they were suites three-room suites with private or connecting baths, And the suite next to mine was occupied by the founder and president of an automobile parts company in Ohio. A British diplomat who had been with Roosevelt and Churchill at Yalta was there recovering from tuberculosis a noted architect from Florida. Well, there were many. I could name a number. That was the kind of people who were there. And there was a beauty from Florida University. A real beauty. (laughs) Just about my age. (laughs) Her parents were quite wealthy, and they were embarrassed that their daughter would be diagnosed with tuberculosis, so she was there under an assumed name. They were telling friends that she was on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was D.D. That was her nickname. I was a teenager, she was just a few years older than I. She was extremely lonely, she had been there for so long. She was a poet had been recognized already at her young age for her poetry. I'll close the door there. I won't open that door any further. Only to say that for two years we corresponded after I had left the hospital and she became a noted poet and was president of the Alabama Poets Society. But all of this is leading up to introducing you to the one that I want you to meet. He was the fellow who took care of my day-by-day needs. He looked like a steward on a cruise ship, always dressed in black pants and white jacket. He was from the Bahamas. He was in his late 20s or early 30s. He was the most unhappy person I think I've ever met. In his eyes, there was just a kind of an emptiness and an unhappiness. Friendly, but you could see that there was just something within him that was shutting out all of life. And he sang all the time and they were woeful songs. One of his favorites was, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. And the other was, Poor Little Jesus Boy, born long time ago sweet little holy child, and they didn't know who you was. Well, we've been talking about Jesus trying to have an identity through Paul to the people. Who is Jesus? What's he like? What are the characteristics of Jesus that are applicable to our lives? And so today, John, the writer of the gospel, addresses the subject of trying to identify who Jesus is and like our Bahaman who had an emptiness in his life wondering who Jesus really was and can he feel the emptiness in my life when I feel that I have no one, a motherless child it was people like that that Jesus wanted to embrace and offer to them the qualities that would make their lives full and meaningful and so John addressed the issue of this is who Jesus is. This is what he can do for your life. This is what he came to bring. And the setting for our lesson today from John has to do with the period in the life of Jesus when he fell out with the temple authorities and others because of his claims of divine sonship They decided that the best thing to do to get rid of Jesus was to take his life, and so they had agreed upon the fact that now he has to die. We can't steal him. He's creating too much confusion, and so he must die. Jesus had been teaching a group of people, and they were following him, eager to learn what was in it for them. He had just fed the multitudes and they were saying to him, if you would feed us every day, we'll stay with you and go wherever you go. You can always get that kind of followers. But Jesus said, this is what you'll have to do if you follow me. And when he had finished, the scripture writer says, the crowds fell away and walked with him no more how disappointing it must have been for him. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, will you leave me as well? What a time for affirmation on the part of any one of the disciples. But the best he got out of his disciples was from Peter who said, where else can we go? That's not much of a commendation. That's not much support. And so Jesus brokenhearted went back to Galilee and assumed a low-key presence there. He didn't want to die yet because he had not yet completed his mission to the point where his death would fulfill what he came into the world to do. So lest he fall into the hands of his enemies and be killed, he stayed back in Galilee for an extended period of time. And then the Feast of the, of the Tabernacles came. His brothers, who didn't believe in him at all, rejected him completely which had to be a disappointment to Jesus, taunted him and said, let's go to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus knew that if he went, the temple authorities would be waiting for him. And so he said, no, you go on. I won't go with you. And so his brothers went on to Jerusalem without him. He stayed for a while back in Galilee But he was driven to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. And so about midway through the Feast of the Tabernacles, he went to Jerusalem, stayed in the shadows, did not allow himself to be identified up until the time in which he was just drawn to the temple. How Jesus loved the temple. The temple was a result of God's plan. God was the architect of the temple. Everything in it was designed to bring a sense of the presence of God. When Jesus was 12 years old, remember, he went to the temple and his parents had to come and wrench him away. He wanted to stay in the temple. He always loved the temple. So he went to the temple and as he did, those who were followers began to cluster around him. Now, rabbis, in their teaching, would go around the temple on the outer courts, and his disciples would gather around him as the rabbi would sit and teach. That was the manner of teaching in those days, and so Jesus was teaching his followers, not strangers, not pilgrims to the city, his followers, and he was telling them what he wanted them to know about what he could offer them. He began by saying, if you continue to be my disciples, and that showed an insight on the part of Jesus because so many had fallen away, if you will continue to be my disciples. Now, there's a word that's pretty well lost to the church today. That back in the frontier days when the church was just establishing itself on the frontiers and camp meetings and the like, there was the word of, having fallen away from the faith, backsliding. Backsliding was a common thing. And every year when there was a revival, they called the backsliders to come down to the altar and recommit themselves. (laughs) I told you one incident in Mountain City of a backslider. The lady of ill repute that every year got religion and named the persons that she had shared her life with. (laughs) to be confronted with the good news of the gospel is to readily embrace ourselves to something that can really give us something worthwhile but the attraction of the world is so great it's like a great magnet it's easy to forget these things when we're not kept in a constant relationship with those inspirational forces that hold us close to Christ and the lure of the world can overcome our commitment. Too many times there has been a fallen away from people who have a deep faith but after a while return to the world. Even Paul experienced that with Demas. Demas was one of his greatest companions and he wrote to Timothy and said, Demas has left me having loved the world too much. So Jesus knew that there was a possibility of their leaving him. So he said, If you continue, not, this is not a promise to you because you're following me now. If you continue to follow me, then I will give you freedom. I will give you peace, and from that peace will come your freedom. Truth. Was the essence of who Jesus was. He knew God's mind. He spoke God's mind. He validated himself and every claim that he made about himself because there was nothing in him that was not true and truth. And everything that he said was truth. We who seek to find the answers to the problems of the world can go to many sources, eminent persons in their fields, but If you can find the root of your search in Christ, you'll know that it's true. Christ is truth. Jesus said, if you have the truth, the truth will make you free. And through the truth I give comes your freedom. That would sound like good news to a lot of people. But his hearers said, what do you mean? will free us. We're free. We've never been enslaved to anyone. We're the children of Abraham. We're not enslaved. Of course, they were wrong, and our lesson writer pointed it out, that since Abraham, they had been enslaved to Egypt, had been enslaved to Babylonia, had been enslaved to Persia, had been enslaved to Rome, and were enslaved to Rome at the present time. That is spiritually enslaved, not physically enslaved, they were free to move about but they didn't have rights and freedoms that a person who has true freedom experiences. But Jesus said, I will release you and give you freedom. Jesus was not talking about economic freedom. Poverty ran rampant throughout all of Palestine because they were so taxed by Rome that they couldn't accumulate anything (coughs) of worth. They barely existed economically. Politically, he could not free them. He could, but he didn't come to free Palestine from Rome. And when pushed into the corner in order to get him to do that, he always refused. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God's. So he was not offering them economic freedom. He was not offering them political freedom. And so much of our present day theology is built upon the freedoms of economic and political values. Some of the big mega churches in our country are, follow Jesus and you'll get rich. Send me a check for $500 and God will give you a thousand back. (laughs) Jesus never promised economic riches, never promised political freedom. But he promised freedom from sin. That was what he came to fight and to defeat. And sin can imprison every one of us, even though it appears that we're totally free persons. We live in America. We have freedoms here that do not exist anywhere else in the world to this extent. And yet many of us are enslaved, enslaved to our passions, enslaved to a sense of power, wealth for which we're willing to spend our lives accumulating. We can become imprisoned in so many ways that are sinful in the sight of Christ. And he said, I have come to bring you freedom. And through truth that is in me, I will free you from all that sin entails. But they pled, we are the children of Abraham and we don't need freedom from anybody that doesn't sound like much to fall out with your teacher over, but they did. They said, poor little Jesus boy, and they didn't know who he was. They said, are you a Samaritan? You sound like a Samaritan to me. They said, are you possessed of the devil? It sounds like that the devil is gooding you into what you're preaching. These are the very words that John records in his gospel that the people said to him, Are you a Samaritan? Are you possessed of the devil that causes you to say that we are enslaved and we are the children of Abraham? And their course of action was to stone him to death. And they turned on Jesus and were going to stone him. And Jesus disappeared in the crowd and went back then into hiding until the time that he would come out and accept the death for which he came to receive. The gift of freedom and truth are the primary gifts offered by Jesus in this lesson today. Seek the truth which comes from the teachings of Christ. Balance it against the truths that are revealed in the world that have roots otherwise, and discover that out of Christ comes the truth that will embellish every need that we have and every search on which we put ourselves. And freedom, the freedom to go to bed at night with a clear conscience knowing that I have lived the day well, and not with regrets over the things that I should not have done. A farmer advertised for a worker to help him on his farm, and this fellow came and interviewed for the position. And when the farmer said, what qualifications do you have? And he kept repeating, well, when it storms, I sleep deeply. And uh, the farmer didn't understand what he meant by that, but he kept repeating that one phrase. But he looked like a man who was strong, could do the job, and having few other applicants, he hired him. Things went on well for a long time, and then a big storm came. And the farmer rushed to the room of the fellow because he had not come out of his room to go out and batten down the hatches and put up the livestock. And he came and he broke down the door, and he said, Why aren't you out taking care of the needs against the storm that's coming? And the worker got up and walked out with him, and everything was already in place. He had taken preparation in advance, and so he didn't have to face the crisis head on because he had made preparations in advance of the crisis. And that's what Jesus offers, preparation in advance of the crisis. And in the coming of the crisis, we're prepared for it often been said that there are no atheists in the foxhole but Royal Smith said if you didn't take Christ in the foxhole with you, you're not going to find him there it's the foundation that we build that allows us to soar above the difficulties that come in maintaining that fellowship with Christ maintaining that discipleship is the emphasis of Jesus talk to his followers, and we maintain ours by Bible study, by prayer, by fellowship with one another, by practicing the holy habits of the Christian life. Poor little Jesus boy, born a long time ago, and a lot of us still don't know who he is. Any comments or questions? Yes. So I'm on the sidetrack. Your last name was Duncan. But I, the genealogy you said his brothers, one you know, them. Did Mary go on and, I know she went on to have more children. Do you know how many and were there any sisters and brothers and weren't some of them? Well, uh, they were all stepbrothers, of course uh, they, I think I think there were I think there were four brothers and maybe one sister. Am I correct on that because I'm this I believe that's correct. four brothers and one sister. The Bible tells us it's not speculation, but none in his family uh, supported and believed he was who he was. I remember when I was in high school, I went to Barda Theatre and saw a family portrait and it was a story of uh, Mary the mother of Jesus and all of the intrigue in the family because Jesus trying to assert his being the son of God in a family that wouldn't accept him for who he was but they part- Did mother not even him. Mm-hmm. no his mother and they went out and tried to get him to come home you're making a fool of yourself come on back home in time Mary, of course, did accept him. And uh, uh, James, his brother, became the head of the church. But this was after the death and crucifixion of Jesus that James became a follower. But he had the opposition of his family all the while. Any other? Ask me anything except about Dee Dee. <laughs> Where are you? It's time to tell you. mean that, but you keep bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> you read it. <laughs>